Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And this is podcast number 164, number 164. And again, if you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to go ahead and send them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. That is kbmakel at aol.com. Or you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean, which is where we create this. But let's get down to business. It's been a while since I've done one of these. And some very perplexing and disturbing things have happened. Um, Number one, right over the place where I live, a Chinese spy balloon uh, was allowed to meander its way across the sky. and, And it meandered its way across the whole country. They finally shot it down off the East Coast. But that was a complete affront to our sovereignty, a complete affront to our airspace. And you know what? I don't really care. If they want to float one of those things in international airspace, you know, international waters off the coast, hey, we fly airplanes off of other people's coasts and, and listen in on them. That, that's fine. That That's kind of the international rule. But they send it directly over the country because they don't care. They don't think we'll do anything. Um, and of course, then... You know, our imbecilic chairman of the Joint Chiefs managed to shoot down three other unidentified objects, which turned out to be a couple of weather balloons and a ham radio club balloon that they shot down over Lake Huron. Um, You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. The military establishment of this country had better get serious, and they better get serious fast. Because this brings us into our, our kind of our second topic. The, the the leadership of this country is senile, okay, uh, and in, and mentally impaired in other ways. Now let's just take a Fetter zombie, you know, John Fetterman, Fetter zombie. What did he last a month? Now he's in the hospital, basically a vegetable. I mean, there, there we go. That's a, that's our leadership. Feinstein wandered off Capitol Hill the other day, and and she was you know heard saying, "What did I vote for? What was going on?" I, you know, she's 89 years old and she has no idea what's going on. I know people in their 50s and 60s who say, "You know, I'm not as really as sharp as I used to be." I can't imagine how an 89-year-old can function in the U.S. Senate. And the answer is I can't. They're just Democratic Party meat puppets. Like this got Fetter zombie. They're told what to vote for, and they vote for it. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. Pelosi's no better. McConnell's like 80 years old. I, I don't know how, you know, how does he function? You know, this is ridiculous. We have these people who are mentally incapable of running a country and yet they seem to be they seem to be just entrenched and we can't get them out until they die Pelosi's another one she looks like she's 500 years old I mean if you if somebody dug up a sarcophagus and opened it up and saw Pelosi inside they'd say yeah this mummy's been here 2,000 years it's it's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous they've got to make way for some younger people and you know the only people who are who are calling the truth and i didn't even follow this person but every interview i've seen with 
Marjorie Taylor Greene, hey, she just tells it like it is. She tells it, the people in Congress are idiots. We've got a bunch of idiots in Congress. Um, she called out Biden being a liar, you know, during the State of the Union, which has turned into a, just a farce. Pelosi, Pelosi managed to turn that into a farce. Um, she should have been charged and removed from her office when she tore up the speech and on, on all that. Yeah, just that's just get rid of her. Um, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, our leadership is completely inept and we're in the most dangerous time since 1945. What I tell people is prepare for war. Uh, this is how wars start. People just blundering into it. <coughs> and let me tell you how they're going to blunder into it. Ukraine in Europe. Okay. We're giving the Ukrainians every iteration we're giving them better and more advanced weapons okay so that basically what we have right now is a stalemate it's world war one there you know that's what it is at a certain point russia will get angry and if the ukrainians have too much good stuff or too much of an advantage they're the russians are going to pop a weapon of mass destruction my guess is they will use chemical weapons. They will target wherever these advanced systems are and they will slime them. And then what are we going to do? What do we do? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it could even get worse. Maybe they'll use a nuclear weapon. I don't know. But I think fair, fairly certainty by this time next year Ukraine will be a chemical battlefield. And I'm not saying that with any delight. I don't wish that to happen, but I think it'll be a chemical battlefield. There will be chemical weapons used, and the ramifications of that are very unpredictable. So we have potential war in Europe that could broaden. Um, a lot of old animosities are coming, kind of coming to the forefront now. Poland doesn't really like Germany but they like Germany better than they like Russia because Russia used to be the centerpiece of the Soviet Union, which dominated them for 50 years. So Poland does not like Russia. The war could broaden that way. Um, Germany does not like Russia. As a matter of fact, the old hatreds now are coming to the coming to the deal, coming up after you know 40 or 50 years of trying to play nice they're not going to play nice anymore we could have a much broader europe in a year we could have a much broader european war and that that is very very bad you should also prep for war because of the streets of the united states have now been turned over to thug armies the thug army of antifa which just a couple weeks ago was burning and, and uh, stuff in Atlanta when they were going to build a new police training facility and they, they attacked it and were burning and, and all that stuff. And the Soros-backed DAs, all these liberals, liberal DAs, have been letting thousands of criminals out on the street. 
And just as a little microcosm, in St. Louis, a young girl, teenage girl and her family came to town for a volleyball tournament. They're walking down the street. One of these guys who's released comes careening down the street, and he's supposed to be on house arrest. But he's careening down the street. He hits a car. The car hits the girl. And she has her legs amputated that night in a hospital. I mean, that's not just a fluke. That's not just bad luck. That's not just one of those things that happens. That happened because this guy's violated his house arrest like 25 times. This guy had a prior... I forget what they got him on this time, but he had a prior for armed robbery. And the funny part is, if you look at the guy... He just looks like a kid. He's like 21 years old. Looks like any other 21-year-old. But he's a hardened criminal. And he's flaunting the justice system. The justice system is just turning him loose. And when he violates his house arrest, they don't care. They just don't care. And now, there's a girl who's probably still in the hospital with no legs now because of it. Now, would a gun have helped that situation? No, it, it, it obviously wouldn't. But having this guy locked up where he was supposed to be would have helped it. It certainly would have. And there's a lot of these thugs who are now out on the street. And face it, if you don't have a firearm and the, the will to use it, you could be a victim of these people. They do not care. They are predators. They do not care. They see you as prey. They're not going to cut you slack They don't feel sorry for you because you're older and infirm. And I have a story to tell about that. As you know, a couple months ago, I got COVID. You know, it's so so 2020, but in 2022, I got COVID. A very, very bad case, okay? Well, it's, it's taken a while for me to recover. And while I was recovering, you know, the first couple times, I wasn't contagious or anything. It was past that stage. But I, I could tell I was weak. And, you know, I was, I was infirm and weak. And you know what? I carried a shoulder holster with a cocked and locked 1911 in it. Because, unfortunately, it was, you know, winter. So I, I've, I've got it under a coat. But you'd be surprised. I would go to fill up my car or go, you know, down to the store to buy something. Because my wife had it, too. And, of course, you know, when, when I got to the point where I could go venture out, I had to resupply the house and everything. Uh, there were people, and, and face it, I'm just going to call it the way it is. They were thugs. They were street thugs that you just see everywhere. They could tell that I was not 100%. And they were looking at me. They were definitely predators. They were definitely looking looking at me. And now I'm not, I'm not a very big guy. But I am kind of a tough-looking guy, a little bit anyway, so that they nobody really messes with me. But these guys, I could tell they were on the verge, and and there were too many people around. I don't I don't do anything risky, but had there been not a bunch of people around, I'm sure I would have had a problem. Now the problem would have been theirs because I had a 1911, and uh, believe me, I will use it to defend myself. Believe it. But the deal is, the streets are dangerous. The streets are becoming more and more dangerous. 
um, like they have not been in decades. Maybe have never been. Maybe have never been. Um, the Democrats, you know, the worst party, political party of scumbags on the planet, they're, they're more than happy to turn Antifa loose on you. They're more than happy to do that. And your local PD is powerless. You've seen them. They've retreated in the face of these guys because they're so browbeaten. They're not going to stand there and do what they need to do, which is shoot a bunch of these scumbags. They're not going to do it. So the police who are supposed to protect you either can't or won't protect you. You better protect yourself. And uh, it, it is not a pretty it is not a pretty thing to think about. It is not a pretty sight. And I've got questions related to it. But what I want to tell people right now, what I want people to do, if you listen to this podcast, you probably own guns, okay? And maybe you maybe you've already done this, but right now the rush has not started. You can get a case of nine millimeter ammunition for about two hundred and fifty bucks. Buy one this week. Just just don't think about it. Buy it. Um, there's not that you know. You don't need more guns. You need ammo. Buy the ammo now. You saw in COVID. Hey, people still had guns, but they were crazy because they could not get. Sorry for my voice there. But they could not get ammo. And what good is a gun without much ammo? I had a friend, and this actually will come up too, but, um, hey, had a 7mm Magnum hunting rifle. He had three rounds of ammunition because he didn't bother to resupply after hunting season. So things start getting ugly. Hey, I got this pretty cool rifle that's powerful, it's accurate, it's all these great things. But guess what? I only got three rounds of ammo. You know, hey, it's doesn't take anybody with a lot of analytical skills to figure out that's a that's a no-go so you you want to have ammunition for your weapons this is one of the reasons i say do not buy weird caliber weapons um for for defense now for collecting purposes and all that that's fine but your defensive weapons should be either nine millimeter or 45 I kind of go with 38 special too because you can you can find it, but not like you can't not like you used to be, but it's a very good cartridge. Um, so you you need that kind of pistol cartridges, and you need either 5.56 or 7.62 NATO, and as a backup, I'd say 7.62 by 39. That's getting harder to find too, because we used to get most of it from Russia, and they won't let us buy it anymore. And even if we could, they're not going to sell it because they have other uses for it. So, seven six two by thirty nine. There are some companies that are that are uh, um, spinning up to produce some of the com block ammo, but you cannot afford to wait. Um, this is why I have told people: do not buy ARs in weird calibers. Buy it in five five six. Go get, and I think you can get, but I don't know what a case of 5.56 costs. Uh, it might be, 
I think they've got it down into the 400s, low 400s. Buy a case of that. Buy it. Don't think about it. Just go do it. Just go do it. If you got 5.56 rifles, do it. If you have 9mm pistols, go buy it. Yes, I know it's not the high-speed shit. Uh, we talked about that a couple of podcasts ago. Buy it. Have it. Because you're going to need it. Now you say, well, what am I going to need a thousand rounds for? Well, you don't need a thousand rounds to fight the battle with. You probably only need 40 or 50 rounds. But you need to do some practicing and make sure your guns are, are, are tuned. Make sure everybody who potentially could use them has got some trigger time on them. Need to do all that. And those will come up in some questions. But get it right now. The rush has not started. It's a little late for the guns. Although you could probably still do that. Um, if things get more serious, you're going to see another run on firearms. And that's just the way that is. And you know that those shelves empty fast. So, and the prices go up. Right now, it's it's almost back to 2018, 2019. You can get a $500 AR. And why people who don't have one have not done that, they're crazy. I'll be blunt. I work around a lot of former special operations guys. And, you know, I don't want to hear this nonsense. And I hear it from them all the time. Well, if I buy an AR, I'm going to need to get, you know, the high-speed aftermarket trigger. And they got they got this list of, you know, all their wishes and desires that they would put in. But they haven't done it yet. My deal is get that basic AR now. The basic AR is all you need. Even if it's, even if you got the detachable carry handle, that's your sights, you know, whatever it is. Um, they're crazy for not doing it. And crazy, you know, I don't, if it says Anderson on it, I don't care. If it says what other manufacturer, I don't care. What I won't buy is one of the polymer goofball ones. Um, that's that's a stupid idea. But do not do not get hung up on boutique ARs. Walk into a store, find a good AR, and by good AR I mean it's an aluminum <laughs> lower, a decent upper, you know, a, a, a decent and and you know any of the kind of name brand red dots or something are a good thing to have but you know go get that basic AR now go get it now and go get a thousand rounds of ammunition and then practice with it sight it in practice with it a little bit and you'll be good you'll you'll be in so much better of a position you won't believe it and it that leads me to my first question and I've really answered it what's my best prep right now well it's buying the ammo it's having the gun I mean face it for the last couple of years if the last couple of years did not convince you to buy a defensive rifle I don't know that there's anything that could and I know most of the people who listen to this podcast have already done that and are already I'm probably preaching the choir probably I don't know that there's even one person that listens to this podcast who has not already done this I assume they have Um, but I just want to put it out just in case a newbie listens in going what should I do I kind of need advice that's my advice go now put it on your credit card go now um, that's the best prep get the stuff immediately 
uh, order it tonight online if you can especially if you live in free America where they can deliver the ammo to your door you know uh, okay next question how do I get my hunting type rifle ready for trouble well I put it like this um, you do not have the optimal weapon for what you're looking to do but since that's better than no weapon at all we'll just go with it um, your hunting rifle and I'm assuming that's gonna be we're just we'll just take the the norm on that which is a bolt-action rifle with a scope the best thing you can do is make sure that it's sighted in to whatever ammo you have and and really if you change ammo it's probably not going to change affect it that much but sight into what you have make sure you have a a um, supply of ammo and that could get dicey and expensive if you got 270 Winchester or you know some Winchester short magnum or something you're 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 probably gonna have to hunt for some then the next thing is making sure you're ready because the rifle is probably pretty much ready to go but it's you because if that's your if that's your rifle you probably don't practice with it very much except a little before game season so you're gonna have to practice a little bit and it's gonna cost you because that ammo is expensive but you, ha you have to do it so getting the rifle ready is only one portion getting yourself ready is the other portion but be that as it's as it's saying uh, you hit somebody with a seven millimeter magnum a 30-06 uh, you know a seven millimeter 08 Remington you hit them they're they're gonna go down they're they're gonna know they've been hit by a very powerful deal so you're not defenseless you do have a powerful weapon there and you probably have a four to five shot capacity not the greatest but it's better than nothing and and you know it may come down to making what you have work best so there you are um, that's what I would do make sure all the screws on it are tight the last thing you okay here's the here are the here's the litany of crap that I see and we just held a we just held a match there was kind of a defensive match in nature and I will tell you that I saw people uh, not a lot but a few they absolutely had no lubrication on their weapons they're going to a match and there's no lubrication on their weapons one of them was so egregious it was a 1911 that he, it wouldn't function it, it absolutely would not function when I tried to pull the slide back it felt like it was two pieces of sandpaper against each other I mean it, it was unbelievable then lo and behold we lubricated it and guess what it started working you have to it, it proves my theory that you have to work hard to get a 1911 to malfunction in spite of what some goofball gun writers say but the fact of the matter is no lubrication will cause malfunctions even in weapons that you wouldn't think need to be lubricated like bolt-action rifles and other things uh, you have to lubricate your weapons and semi-automatic weapons it's absolutely required you know and after 20 or 30 rounds the screw is loose and it's not shooting well anymore it happens all the time 
uh, blue Loctite is a beautiful thing and you know you've got to use it but yeah I've seen that I've seen that over and over again over and over again um, pistols can be the same way um, I've seen how many people with expensive pistols mostly in the 1911 world and then they've got the worst bargain basement magazines or some just some unidentifiable blue seven round magazine and and I will tell you I got rooked it was probably 25 years ago I bought a bunch of were supposed to be Colt magazines I bought them through one of the places that advertised shotgun news and it turns out they weren't they were marked that way but they weren't OEM Colt 45 magazines and man I, I stomped every one of those um, they would work for a little while and then it, they would do stuff like you'd be putting the rounds in and then when you put the last round in you took your hand away and all of them would zip out because the thing had bowed <laughs> so tighten all the screws in an action especially in a rifle um, you might want to check the grip screws on a on a handgun that's that's another one that usually goes um, and just make sure that the you've inspected the gun you know another another thing is um, and this can be both a rifle and a pistol check the sights check the sights to make sure they're not loose um, a lot of rifles you know don't have scopes a lot of uh, your especially like say lever action rifles usually do not come and usually are not scope friendly so you have the iron sights uh, make sure that those iron sights are tight and, and it works on military rifles too they can fall off too you know it's it's basic maintenance but the last thing you need is to be let down by a weapon when you actually really need it you're gonna have to it's imperative to make the weapons handling inspection part of your part of your daily life now because the world is just too dangerous okay last question which is related which I was asked was how do I get my family ready well you do those things that I just previously said and then get them some trigger time on whatever gun they can shoot effectively usually the rule of thumb is the largest gun they can shoot effectively now with somebody that might be a 22 that might be your Ruger 1022 might be your Ruger Wrangler revolver might be your Ruger you know um, semi-automatic 22 pistol could be any of those whatever they're willing to shoot and can shoot uh, get them practice with it and, and go and uh, do your best uh, some kids can shoot a 3030 pretty well whereas they might be more intimidated by something in 762 NATO so whatever they can shoot effectively get them some trigger time on and if you followed my earlier advice about getting 556 weapons which have light recoil you know you're going to that that's all gonna kinda come together happily that you can get ammo at least right now and that the majority of people in your family can shoot it because it's an intermediate cartridge all those things kind of kind of come together and put you in a happy good place so 
that's that's why I I kind of tell stuff that kind of stuff but you got to get your family ready got to get them in the mindset think security think security no matter what you do having kids just running around loose you saw that girl she was with her family and look what happened to her you know it, the world is a dangerous place now and no neighborhood is entirely safe I hate to say that but it's true it's very true so you got to think about security all the time where is everybody when where are you going when will you be back I will go with you you know those kind of things and it's gonna cramp some lifestyles but you know it's better hurt feelings than uh, not being around anymore that's for sure okay here's some gun stuff have you seen the new Zestava K98K rifles I've not seen the rifle obviously it's just got announced a K98 is the World War II German Mauser it's bolt action 8mm supposedly these are going to be an 8mm and 30-06 um, I looked at them um, online there's a YouTube video uh, the, the stocks look pretty horrid and clunky um, the guns themselves look to me like like they're old stock actions and bolts and and probably a few other parts that they've cobbled together to make a rifle out of it's it's not bad I mean that's not a bad thing you gotta remember that they produced as many Mausers as they have Kalishnikov rifles so you're talking somewhere between 50 and maybe 80 million Mauser rifles were produced from you know we'll say 1898 to 19 probably 1955 is when the very last ones came rolling off some assembly line somewhere I think FN you know probably so we got all these millions of Mauser rifles out there some of them have just been reduced to actions and parts and things or they come across a cachet of five or six thousand of these things in a warehouse somewhere you know a warehouse in Romania nobody cares about and they find you know four or five crates of these actions and bolts and things so they're, they're gonna slap them all together into a rifle it'll probably be a decent shooter um, you, you understand that it's 120 year old technology so um, outside of it's not really a collector gun it'll be a decent shooter gun for the type of gun it is um, so what niche it really fills I don't fills I don't know I suppose you could make an argument that if you live in occupied America Massachusetts California New York one of those horrid places that you know you you could use one of these for defensive purposes and remain within the letter of the law so I guess you could do that it seems to me to be a very a very specific and small niche but I don't know who else really wants a kind of a non I don't know kind of a a non-historical 98k um, I suppose reenactors might see some joy in this but I don't know really don't know but it's gonna be out there um, 
you know, but there are a lot of things they also announced that just never come to but come to fruition. So I think these things will be out there. I, I assume they'll be seven hundred and fifty dollars. They're probably worth about three hundred and fifty dollars. So there you go. Uh, there, there's a lot of guns out there that are kind of newly made for the collector market simply because something isn't out there. Um, they're bringing back Romanian PSLs for like two thousand dollars. Guns that they had a hard time. This is going back like twenty five years, but they they had a hard time giving those away. I mean, there was a time when you could buy one without a scope for under five hundred bucks. Um, now they want a fortune for it. Um, there's also a Druganov clone, or Dragonov clone, I guess is the right way to say it. Um, you know, a Soviet SVD clone that's newly made, and I forget who made it. I keep thinking the thing is, I keep thinking it's Polish, but I, I may be mistaken. And they want like seventy-five hundred dollars for that bad boy. Um, yeah, I say, you know, enjoy. <laughs> Have it, enjoy it. Uh, the problem with a gun like that, and the same thing with the French FR1 sniper rifles that came in, uh, those really just become collector's items because you can never replace any parts on them. And it's also the kind of thing where if you break something and replace it, the value of the gun might become a lot less. And I don't know that you, you know, if you shot out a barrel, heaven forbid. I just used it enough so that it needed to be replaced. Where would you where would you find one? And then it's of course not original again. So uh, there are those those are just made to be safe queens. Um, take them out, fondle them, show them to your friends, fire them once every. Well, something like that. That's interesting. Something like that. It's it it becomes like it becomes like the guys who buy the class three heavy machine guns. And some of the, some of the other things, uh, the guys who buy Gatling guns, um, you know, cannons are another thing. The muzzle-loading cannons. You find that when somebody buys this, they take it out like four times the first year they own it. Whether it's like a Vickers gun, they spend the money and get the Class Three Vickers gun, um, and that's a good example. They they take that. Now they got to haul the gun, the tripod, and all the crud. It's it's got ammo belts that have to be loaded. You have to have scads of ammunition, on and on and on. And find a range that'll let you shoot it. So they do that about four times a year. And, and face it, it's a pain in the butt. The next year, they take it out maybe twice. The third year, it might go out once. The fourth year, it doesn't go out at all. The fifth year, it might not go out at all. The sixth year, it goes out once. And it's such a pain in the butt that the guy sells it. Uh, that's why. That's why these things are periodically they come up for sale. It's not particularly difficult to find some of these rare class three guns, because frankly, after a certain point, the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. When the novelty wears off, people say, "Yeah, been there, done that. I really don't feel like spending five hundred dollars on ammo today." And, and the next four days cleaning this this uh, behemoth of a gun, this water-cooled gun that now has to be all taken down, the water drained out, everything greased, everything cleaned. And if they start malfunctioning, 
then you have to find a gunsmith who's qualified to fix it and can fix it and that's not going to be cheap uh, then there's all the accoutrements that go with it it's one thing to have a Vickers machine gun it's quite another thing to have the tripod and all the goodies some goodies you need just to fire the gun and then other goodies are nice to have transit chests and all these other things they, they take on a life of their own guys who buy this kind of stuff again once the novelty wears off they take it out less and less then they don't take it out for a while then they take it out one more time and decide I'm, a, I'm out of it I've seen that several times that's why submachine guns are usually a better because they're, they're a lot more fun they're a lot easier to clean uh, they're a lot cheaper to shoot they have the cool factor and um, you know it's it's usually a lot better deal to, to go with a class 3 type submachine gun than it is some of the heavier weapons and and another point that illustrates this I know a guy who bought one of the semi-automatic M2 50 cal you know looks like the M2 HB the World War 2 you know the rat patrol gun and all that he's fabbed up a trailer for it which you know it looks pretty sketchy to me and and all this and you know the bottom line is 50 cal rounds are like five bucks a shot and you know even after you're done shooting hey guess what then you get to take this thing home it's com compared to a rifle or a simple submachine gun it is a very complex and heavy thing to to disassemble clean and reassemble correctly you know it's not just hey I'm gonna go clean my rifle it's I'm gonna have to spend all of the next day doing this and, and it's just not worth a squeeze and again you can wind up spending four or five hundred dollars on a range trip um, in ammunition so at a certain point people just hey it becomes a money pit that they don't want to get into I've also seen reports that a lot of the class 3 weapons and it's really the more complicated ones the ones that we're talking about a lot of those aren't in that great a shape because people take them they they fondle them they're they're safe queens and they play with them and and all that they may not be functional there may be something wrong with it and they don't know because they don't take them out and shoot them or maybe they reassembled it wrong or maybe there's a broken part inside they're not even aware of or maybe a tolerance is just something's a little too worn to be reliable and dependable anymore so there's a um, there's a whole thing with all that that goes down so so be careful be careful uh, how you approach all that okay another question because that was pretty rambling uh, what is the most important attribute of a CCW handgun um, you know everybody's got a different idea about this some people will say power some people will say capacity I will say weight because people don't tend to carry heavy guns they t tend to leave them at home or they tend to think that the gun is going to be obvious because they're compensating for the weight it's going to be uncomfortable and all that so I would say that there's a power to weight ratio with weight being very important you know you can go overboard and say very you know like North American arms revolvers the little tiny ones that take a 
22 short. Well, hey, that's the optimal weight. I mean, you don't even feel the weight. It's so light. But I think that there's a there's a very good compromise. Like the J-Frame Smith & Wesson. So they're powerful enough, but they're very lightweight. So that's a gun that can get carried quite a bit. There are others. Any gun in the Walther PPK class. You know, there, there are some good guns out there that that meet that same criterion but I think it's it's kind of weight power balance and you know usually it's going to be a little bit lighter in caliber to be a little bit lighter in weight and that's that's how it's going to work out so I would say it's uh, it's weight with the caveat of a weight power balance okay here's our last question are Derringer's good CCW guns um, I have to say no. Most Derringers are crap, and even if they're well made, their their handling characteristics are terrible. They're limited to two shots. Um, the only and, and also the the idea of a Derringer is 150 more than that. Maybe 160 years old. I mean it's the tiny one-shot or two-shot pistol it's just it's just not a good idea um, there are a lot of things that are nearly as small that give you much much greater tactical flexibility so I would say that as a last-ditch backup gun if you're carrying a third gun maybe if you're worried that you're gonna be taken hostage or prisoner and you can secrete one in your belt or your back pocket or some I mean maybe maybe something like that but what you're going to find is against almost any other weapon a derringer is a very poor uh, substitute for a regular handgun if somebody's got a knife you're probably a little better off with the derringer but against another gun um, a derringer is a very very poor thing to have and the ones that are can compensate for it with some power the ones that are in you know 45 Colt and 410 and all that are so big that you could get a much better self-defense gun in the same package so no derringers are very for almost any reason that would justify their existence there's a much better a much better solution so I'm not really into that well that is it for this edition of old school guns episode 164 and again, if you ever have any questions or comments, you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com, or put them on the comment section of Podbean. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out.